What's happening? Thanks for joining me as always on this hump day, hump day. I appreciate it very much. So later on, we're going to absolutely roast the Boston Red Sox ownership group. But we start with the New England Patriots as we wait for Gerard Mayo's press conference. There is concern about Jonathan Kraft running the football operations. We've talked about this over the last few podcasts. How much say will Jonathan have? How much say does Jonathan want? Will he run the operations? Will he want to thumb his nose at Bill Belichick? I think that's another question we have to ask. And the reason why we have to ask that is because of Seth Wickersham's article going back to last week about the relationship between the Crafts and Belichick. Here's what Wickersham and Wright Thompson wrote. Over the years, those in Kraft's orbit have heard the owner, quote, put down Belichick at every opportunity, unquote, a source close to Kraft said. The relationship between Jonathan Kraft and Belichick, never strong, worsened in 2023. Jonathan is protective over his father's legacy and watched for years as Belichick refused to acknowledge him in the hallways and dismissed him as obsessed with optics. In late 2022, according to a firsthand account, which Jonathan denied through a team spokesperson, Jonathan was talking to friends when one of them brought up New England's losing season. Quote, that guy's got to go. That's what Jonathan said about Belichick. He's done, unquote. Wickersham and Thompson write that uh, Robert Kraft and Belichick appear to be leaking against each other as the season neared its halfway point. Jonathan Kraft was as involved as ever, hammering Belichick behind the scenes about personnel decisions as if slowly building a case to remove the coach. Belichick said at the time that Jonathan Kraft had been brutal. So, Wickersham in the story also mentions the Crafts meddling and how Belichick felt like that meddling eroded the culture that he had built over two decades in New England. The meddling, per Wickersham, the examples of that meddling, re-signing Gerard Mayo and making sure they put that clause in there, making him the next head coach, the succession plan, so to speak. The offensive coordinator decision, which Robert Kraft went to Belichick and told him, Hey, listen, you have to get rid of Matt Patricia. The Matt Patricia Joe Judge thing is not happening again. The third thing that was brought up in the Wickersham article was sticking by Mac Jones to see, you know, what the quarterback would do with Bill O'Brien as the offensive coordinator. So you've got all of this going on. How much meddling was there? Was the meddling a, a big issue, as was framed in this article? Did the meddling erode the culture for Bill Belichick? And were the Crafts at fault for some of the bad that we saw? Or were the Crafts just doing their job? Tom Kern wrote this this week at NBC Sports Boston. Here's what I learned. After 2022, Belichick's preference was to continue with Matt Patricia as OC. That was overruled. Robert Kraft wanted an experienced OC installed. Belichick submitted a list of potential coordinators. Ownership approved them. O'Brien was on the list. Belichick pursued O'Brien. O'Brien did not interact with ownership during that period. So what Tom Curran says is that ownership went to Belichick and said, Matt Patricia's not working out. We need a legitimate offensive coordinator. Belichick came up with the list. He gave the list to the Crafts. The Crafts said, okay, we're good with this list. Off of that list, Belichick chose Bill O'Brien, and the Crafts did not get in the way. As for the Mac Jones 
part of the story. Ownership, according to Tom Curran, definitely preferred to see how Mac Jones performed with O'Brien, but no trade proposal surfaced in the offseason that ownership vetoed. At the trade deadline with quarterback injuries sweeping the league, the possibility was again broached, and it was okay, okay through nothing materialized. So as far as Mac Jones in that part, the owners said, no, we don't want to trade Mac Jones in the offseason. Last offseason, they said, we're not going to trade Mac Jones because we want to see how he works with Bill O'Brien. And then what ends up happening is, as Mac Jones doesn't play well, and there's some questions about his future here in New England, the Crafts are approached and they're asked, well, look, there are a lot of quarterback injuries in the league right now. Would we be okay dealing Mac Jones if we got a trade that made sense? At that point in time, the owner said, yeah, fine. You can trade Mac if that's what you want to do. So that was the meddling that Wickersham wrote about. And of course, what Curran wrote is absolutely the side of the owners. There's no doubt about that. That is the point of view of the ownership. Belichick saying that the meddling from Jonathan Kraft and Robert Kraft eroding the culture to me is weak. You know, you know what erodes culture? What erodes culture is losing. Culture is eroded when you start losing football games. Culture gets eroded when you can't move the football on offense and the defense starts to get frustrated and infuriated. The culture erodes when your starting quarterback is absolutely lost, but you continue to play him for some reason. When I look at these stories, I'm sorry. I don't see this as the Crafts meddling. I see this as the Crafts doing their job. And isn't that what Bill Belichick preached for two decades here in New England? Do your job. After 2022, after that season, were the Crafts just supposed to sit by and watch the Matt Patricia Joe Judge experiment continue into 2023? Were they not supposed to get involved and try to save their young quarterback, a guy who had a good rookie season? The Crafts did their job. They felt like it was absolutely necessary that some decisions had to be made. And if Belichick was not going to unilaterally make those decisions, they had to step in as owners of the team and say, look, Bill, you've had full control of what's going on for 20-plus years. But that was a bleep show what happened offensively. And we need to change that. And as far as getting Mayo ready for when Bill retires, which was the original plan, is ownership just supposed to sit down and let Gerard Mayo leave the organization if they feel like that guy could be special? So the Crafts, to me, they did their job. I want your thoughts. Were the Crafts meddling or were the Crafts what Bill Belichick preached for many years? They were just doing their job. Don't forget to like. Give us that thumbs up. Yesterday's numbers a little bit lower than earlier in the week. And that's because we had less likes. That's how this algorithm works. If you enjoy the content, you enjoy the show, give us that thumbs up. Thumbs up means more eyeballs. So if you're watching on YouTube, take a split second. Just click that thumbs up. Give us that like. Drop a comment in as well. And don't forget to subscribe. We're trying to hit the 1,500 subscribers by the end of this month. And we're getting closer and closer. And I appreciate every single one of you for subscribing to this show, getting those numbers up. 
liking and commenting. Let's continue to do that. If you're listening on Spotify or Apple Pods, don't forget to rate and review. James jumps in and says, clearly it was time to go separate ways. I'm still very uncertain of the ownership and what's next for us fans. And I understand that. Look, all of this is new. All of this is the unknown. And people are going to have concerns about the unknown because the unknown is unpredictable. And this organization for 20 plus years has been incredibly predictable. So all of this is different. All of this is new. So as far as being concerned or a little worried, I get it. It's human nature. Of course, you're going to be a little bit concerned. MJ Witty jumps in and says, sounds like the actions of a reasonable and responsible owner. I agree. This meddling that's mentioned in these articles, I think 100%. That is ownership doing their job. And at some point, it's reasonable to stand up and say, wait a minute, something's off here. And if Bill's not going to change it, again, reports are that Belichick was 100% ready to walk into this past season with Matt Patricia and Joe Judge working on the offensive side of the football. He was fine with what happened in 2022. He was ready to run it back in 2023. Well, if he wants to run it back and you as the owner think that that would be ridiculous, then of course you jump in and say, no, that's ridiculous. That can't happen. Don't forget to throw in a super chat if you'd like. That's how you jump the line in the comments and you also donate to the program. I always appreciate that. Don't forget the super chats. Back to the ownership, back to meddling. So 2022, it's an abject failure offensively. The ownership gets in there and says, look, we've got to change something. I have no issue with that. As far as Mac Jones, whether you think Mac Jones has always sucked or you think Mac Jones inevitably sucked because of how they handled the quarterback, that doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter. Because once you invested a first-round pick into Mac Jones, you had to see if he was worth it. You had to see if he was the future at quarterback. And I don't think anybody after 2022 was ready to completely write off Mac Jones. And if you were, well, that was you. But I think a lot of people looked at 2022 and said, man, Matt, Patricia, Joe Judge, look at the wide receivers. They don't know when or how to run routes. What the hell's going on? They need an adult in the room. They need somebody who's experienced like a Bill O'Brien, like a Josh McDaniels. To trade Mac Jones last offseason, I think, would have been pulling the trigger way too early. Because if you have a contract like Mac's contract at the quarterback position, if you can turn Mac Jones around, and the real problem was the offensive coordinator and the coaching staff, if that was the case, then you have Mac's rookie-scaled contract for the next few years, which makes it much easier to supplement the team and supplement the offense with talent. So to pull the trigger on Mac Jones and just trade him off because he had a down 2022, I think would have been premature. And as a matter of fact, I know people say, oh, Mac played worse as the year went on. That's in the eye of the beholder. Greg Bedard, who rates and looks at every single game and and grades the film, Greg will tell you that the last five or six games in 2022, Mac Jones actually played winning football. He had more plus plays than minus plays in pretty much every single game. So if you're looking at if you're looking at that unfold, I think it's the responsible thing to do to say, let's pump the brakes and let's see if Mac can revive his career. Now, we all know how it ended. 
But I don't think looking back in the offseason last year, it was wrong to say we still have to see what we have in Mac. He had a good rookie season. Last year went off the rails a little bit. He was injured. He had Patricia and Judge. Let's wait on this, Bill. Let's see what we have. I think Belichick, he was done with Mac. He couldn't stand Mac. He wanted to get rid of Mac. And the Crafts looked at it from 30,000 feet and said, let's show a little bit of patience here. It's the quarterback position. I don't have an issue with that. As far as Mayo's contract, Phenom jumps in and says, I think having it in Mayo's contract that he would be the next head coach was too far, and I wanted Bill out years ago. Here's the thing. Everybody agreed that it was okay. Belichick was okay with it. Belichick reportedly knew about it. Belichick gave his okay to have that succession plan. What went wrong was this season. If the Patriots won nine games or 10 games this year, nobody cares, right? Nobody cares. Now, you would have to believe that the contract is why this team had its downfall this season, and I'm sorry, I disagree with that. I think the downfall of this team had a lot more to do with the lack of offensive talent, the offensive line problems, the quarterback problems. I think that's why this team finished 4-13. and I don't think it had to do with Gerard Mayo's contract. If they win nine or ten games this year, nobody cares about Mayo's contract because the plan would have been the plan. Patriots win nine or ten games. Belichick is that much closer to Shula's record. Hopefully you get into the playoffs. And then next year, Belichick takes down the Shula record. Patriots win ten-plus games. And then Bill steps aside. In 2025, Gerard Mayo is your brand-new head coach with a team that has won nine to 11 games in back-to-back years. That was the plan. The plan went to the pooper because of lack of talent on the offensive end and all the other issues that happened. That's what went wrong. Belichick knew of this arrangement, and he was okay with the arrangement. Belichick only got angry and only started to look behind him and get paranoid when the losses started to pile up. So are we supposed to believe that Belichick was was not the reason for those losses? That Belichick, you know, this team won only four games because Gerard Mayo upset everybody inside the building? I know that's what some people want to push, but give me a break. Mayo's not that powerful. It was all the other things on the field. Fourth down philosophy. It's all the stuff we talked through during the season. Belichick had full autonomy for 20 years. 20 years. He had the ship. And finally, in 2022, the Kraft said, well, that was a disaster, Bill. We got to change something. And Bill immediately started to get concerned. And immediately started pointing fingers at everybody else and said, oh, well, you know, this thing would have been fine if the Kraft didn't get in the middle of it. No. Bill, you drafted Mac Jones. You signed Devontae Parker to the extension. You signed Juju and let Jacoby Myers walk out the door. The buck stops with you, Bill. Those were your decisions. The offensive line, right tackle was a disaster. That's on you. This, to me, is revisionist history by Bill Belichick or somebody close to Belichick. Oh, well, everything fell apart because of the owners. No, things started to fall apart because you didn't have a quarterback plan post-Brady. You had Jared Stidham sitting in the room. 
That's why things fell apart. That's why. To me, this is just pettiness from Belichick's side. Respect everything the guy did here and all of the success that he brought. We've talked about it. But this reads like a head coach who had full control for two decades that started to get upset because he wasn't doing things right. The team started to lose its way. The owner stepped in and said, well, how about we do this here? We'll give you one, one single solitary suggestion or one thing that you have to do. It wasn't a suggestion, but change the offensive coordinator. And at that point, Bill started getting frustrated. Even though he had full autonomy for 20 years. All right, we have today's press conference coming up in uh, 43 minutes. And I want to see what questions are asked at this press conference. For Jonathan Kraft, Robert Kraft, who's number one in the front office? Who is actually calling the shots? Who has the say? Who has the final say? If everybody's deliberating during the draft and you don't know what to do with the third pick, who steps up and says, this is what we're doing? I want to know that answer. I want to know the front office structure, the power tiers, so to speak. I want to know how much Jonathan Kraft is involved. I want to know how much this Robin Glazer is involved, who was involved, who was mentioned in the Wickersham story. I want to know the process. How are you going to go about free agency and the draft? A tremendously important few months for the Patriots organization moving forward. Speaking of ownership, we'll get to the Red Sox ownership. We're going to light them boys up in a minute. Trust me, I'm going to light them up. But first, uh, let's get to some of your Patriots reaction and some of your Patriots thoughts. Mike Larry says, Brady looking like a superhero holding this thing together. It's funny. It, it depends on, you know, who says what and who you're reading, right? Some would make you believe that the Crafts held it together. Some would make you believe that, you know, Brady was able to fight through all of the, you know, obstacles set up by Belichick. The Belichick side would, would say, hey, look, he ran the operation for 20 years and all of these other things he did. That's why they were able to win. And the winning was why they stood together so long. Uh, again, I, I think these kinds of things, when you look at it, it has to do with everybody. Everybody had to be with the program to a certain point to go 20 years and continue the success. Don't forget to give us that thumbs up. The thumbs up, they're vital. More likes means more eyeballs trying to drive the traffic here. Uh, so don't forget to like, comment, and subscribe. Trying to get to 1,500 subscriptions by the end of January. We're getting closer and closer to the mark by the day because of all of you, and I appreciate you. I appreciate every single one of you who watch this show, listen to this show, and support this show. Nolan says, I don't think the crafts were meddling. I think they were the only ones to push back, and they did. And that's their job, right, Nolan? I mean, their job is to inevitably push back. You have to push back eventually. If you see somebody who has full power making some you know, iffy decisions and you think that your team is starting to go off the rails, the team that you own, if you see that happening, then at some point you got to stand up and say, look, we got to change some things here. Roll Pat says, based on current story, what week did they okay the trade after the Cowboys game, Saints game? Wasn't this the same time when the O-line was utterly awful? Jets Saints were well above league average for pressure. Uh, it says that as quarterback injuries started to pile up at the trade deadline. So 
Belichick apparently went to the crafts at the trade deadline and said, can I trade Mac Jones if we can get something for him because of all these injuries around the league? And, and at that point, the Kraft said, yes, you can trade him. Ashton Luck says, hello. Hello, Ashton. Thanks for joining us. Always appreciate you. As we get ready for this very, very important press conference, What's up, Nick, my guy? It's time to salvage the most out of Mac Jones. Trade up in the later rounds for better draft position thoughts. I think Mac's gone. I think Mac had his time here. I think it would be best for everybody if Mac had a a fresh reset. And I am one of those people that believe Bill Belichick broke Mac Jones. I know some disagree with that. We can agree to disagree. I don't want to spend a ton of time on Mac here specifically, but I think the time has come that they've got to move on from him. I I think we've seen it. I think we've seen it. Chill lights. Do you think that a second year of Patricia as offensive coordinator would have looked better than this past year with O'Brien? Here's what I'll say. Look, the offensive line was better for Patricia. I would also say that Ramondre Stevenson had a a great year with Patricia and he was healthy from the jump. I don't think Stevenson was healthy through the first six weeks of this season because all of a sudden we saw him change and become the guy he was last year. And that helped the offense some. Let's not forget that. Matt Patricia also had Jacoby Myers instead of Juju Smith-Schuster. So there are several things at work here at play. I don't think it's just as easy as looking at the offensive coordinator and giving them all the credit or all the blame. All right, let's get into the Red Sox. Come on, light these guys up. I want to light these freaking guys up after what I read last night. Infuriating. If, If you're not in love with the Red Sox, just stay here for a minute. Because you are going to enjoy, you are going to enjoy me ripping this ownership group and what's going on right now. So last night, Pete Abraham says he spoke with Craig Breslow. And this was Breslow's answer when Abraham asked him if he still believed ownership was committed to competing at the highest level. Quote, that's a fair question. As I've gotten to know the organization better through the conversations I've had with ownership, they absolutely are still supportive of assembling a World Series team. Word salad, word salad, word salad. But I think the reality is that it's going to require a step forward from the young position players. And he talks about development internally and all of these things. We want to build this thing in a way that there's not just quality once in a while, but there's quality paired with consistency. He mentioned Meyer. He mentioned Anthony. He mentioned Teal. They're going to be aggressive in player development. So here's Breslow talking about the minor league system, telling us, hey, you know, we're only like two years away. Only two years away. We, 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 we've, got this, we've got this young core in the minors. We have the ability to develop these guys. And, you know, I think that ownership, yes, We're committed to winning, but we're committed to winning by assembling a World Series team as quickly as we possibly can as I talk to you about the talent pipeline and the minors. You get the message, right? The message is, yeah, we think we can contend at some point and we want to win at some point, but we need the young players to step up to start competing. That's what the message was from Craig Breslow. Wait until the young guys start to blossom. We're only two years away. Number one, We've been waiting. We've been waiting since the Mookie Betts trade. How long are Red Sox fans supposed to wait for this thing to happen? We were told at the time of Mookie Betts, 
oh, well, luxury tax numbers, reset that, bring in young talent, build the farm system, et cetera, et cetera. And what happened? The bets trade was a debacle. We still wait here for the system to reap the ultimate rewards. How patient do you want a fan base to be, especially here in Boston, a top 10 market? That's what you're selling us on now? Oh, well, we've got some uh, talent in the pipeline. Oh, great. Let's print the T-shirts. Red Sox Pipeline 2024. That's what we're all fired up about. By the way, what if the young guys don't blossom? What if Meyer never becomes what you think he's going to be? What happens then? Do we have to wait another five years for more influx (laughs) of, of the pipeline? And and by the way, what happened since the intro press conference of Craig Breslow? Because Pete Abraham's talking to Breslow, and Breslow is selling us on the young talent and the pipeline and all of that. Back at his introductory press conference, here's what Breslow said. Quote, I don't see financial resources as a limiting factor. What happened to that, Craig Breslow? I don't see financial resources as a limiting factor. Ipso facto, we're going to spend this offseason. Money is not an issue. That's what Breslow said when he was introduced to Boston as the new president of baseball operations, chief baseball exec, whatever the hell his stupid title is. That's what he told us. I don't see financial resources as a limiting factor. He says, I think that was something that was clear in the conversations that we had. He's talking about the ownership conversation. So wait a minute introductory press conference, resources are not going to be limited financially after having the conversations with ownership. Now you fast forward a couple of months and he's trying to sell us on this idea of the pipeline of talent in the minors. What in the blue hell changed over the last couple of months? I don't see financial resources as a limiting factor. The Red Sox have signed one player for more than $1 million. This offseason, we've read constant stories about limiting the payroll, slashing the payroll. If they want to bring this guy in, they've got to get rid of more payroll. Give me a freaking break. During that intro press conference, Breslow said that there would be relentless interest in winning. What about this offseason tells us that the Red Sox ownership has a relentless interest in winning? What? What? What tells us that? A relentless interest in winning tells me you go out and you spend. You bring big names in. I guess that Breslow, during his intro press conference, forgot to say, well, you know, we have a relentless interest in winning as long as it follows ownership's timeline and ownership's way, which is not paying for anybody of superstar value. Don't forget to give us that thumbs up. You like Red Sox talk? Give us that thumbs up. Don't forget to comment. Don't forget to subscribe. Trying to get to 1,500 subscriptions by the end of January. Here's my message to all Red Sox fans. Anybody with an earshot of my voice, stop buying tickets. Stop buying tickets. Stop buying tickets. Stop buying them tickets. Stop buying them tickets. Stop buying tickets. Stop funding this ridiculosity. This was from the Herald. Bill Sparrows, the Fenway Sports Group, has slashed payroll, kept the team below the CBT, 
and still had $2.67 million paying customers in attendance last season. Listen to this. The 2.67 million paying customers last year is 92% of the attendance back in 2018 when the Red Sox, as we know, won the World Series. Boston's payroll in 2018 was $233 million. If you adjust that figure for inflation, the 2018 payroll number would have would have equaled $289 million last season. So when you take inflation into account, last year's payroll, if you equate it to 2018, should have been $289 million. Last year's payroll was $197 million, almost $100 million less. The team cut $91 million in payroll when you adjust for inflation versus the 2018 team, and they finished in last place. But attendance only dropped 8%. They're saving more than $90 million, and the attendance only slipped by 8%. Stop buying tickets. Stop funding John Henry's shenanigans. He has handled this team like a mid-market team, if not worse, for the last several years. Stop buying tickets. And people might say, well, the Nesson numbers have fallen off. Well, Bill Sparrows at the Herald points out, don't forget the Red Sox and all the other Major League Baseball teams have sports betting revenue now. Amy Drock jumps in and says, hey, Nick, listening from Sacramento. What's up, Sacramento? Breslow regurgitating ownership BS. He has no real control. Mike N. Someone needs to tell Boston sports owners one does need to spend in order to acquire talent. They don't come to view the foliage. It's a great line. They don't come to view the foliage. Wick Grosbeck gets the message, doesn't he? Any reason why the Celtics right now are the best team in the NBA? Oh, because you're spending money. Because you bring in Kristaps Porzingis. You bring in Drew Holiday. You pay for Jason Tatum. You pay for Jalen Brown. Is that a coincidence? And if you're thinking, oh, well, maybe they'll bring you know a young pitcher in via trade. Well, Breslow also told the Globe that he won't trade any Red Sox top prospects for pitchers that don't have a ton of team control. Great. And reports are that they've been getting shot down in these trade talks. So the multiple pathways to win that Breslow talks about, uh, I guess, doesn't include spending or trading top prospects. So again, just wait. Wait a couple years. We might contend. If you're not angry enough, let's keep it rolling. Remember the full throttle comment by Tom Warner? Of course you do. We've all talked about it. Here's what Warner told Sean McAdam of Mass Live yesterday about that comment. Maybe that wasn't the most artful way of saying that I want what I wanted to say, which is, we're going to be pressing all levers to improve the team. We felt very strongly that we were going to compete for Yamamoto's services, but in the end, he went to another team. But we felt we were in the mix, and we were going to be competitive. Great. The Red Sox, once again, the interest kings. Says we're not happy. Then he brings up double-A and triple-A talent. Great. We're talking about double-A and triple-A talent in the 10th market in the country. 
freaking ridiculous. The fact is, this ownership has no desire to go full throttle financially. They're leaving it up to Breslow with his hands tied, which is exactly what they do with Heim Bloom. Hopefully, Breslow is willing and capable of pulling the trigger on trades, which Bloom wasn't. We still haven't heard any word about a Yamamoto offer. We have no idea what the Red Sox actually offered the guy. They fell short on Imanaga. They fell short on Hernandez. They're reportedly not involved with Montgomery. Those talk, those talks are MIA. In Warner's other comments, look, let's not forget the context here. Werner was asked about spending. He was asked about money, and he said full throttle. Pete Abraham on X posted, Werner also said that day, you need great players. It's not about selling the team. It's about having great players. Generally, you need players who have a high war to be a winner. So he was talking about spending. He was talking about bringing superstars in. And now he's changing his tune. Oh, no, I was, we, we got to work with many different levers. Give me a break. The reality of the situation is that John Henry and company, they're not comfortable spending money consistently for big names. The Dodgers have a payroll of over $300 million. You operated last year under $200 million. You're not even in the same universe as teams that are spending top money. Fact. You didn't go big game hunting with Yamamoto. You were the interest kings again. You were on the outside looking in, pushing to the media that you were going to be in on this thing. You weren't in on Yamamoto. It's why we, we've we never read or heard an offer, an actual legitimate offer. You were never in on that guy. How do you acquire great players without spending money? Tell me. Again, yes, you can draft and you can develop, but not everybody hits. And we've been waiting for three, four, five years. The ownership is, is peeing on your leg and telling you that it's raining. And if that's not bad enough, everything I said, if that's not bad enough, John Henry reportedly is not going to be at winter weekend because of a scheduling issue. What are we doing? A scheduling issue? Do you have a dentist appointment, John? This is a billion-dollar business. You have people paying millions of dollars to go see your mediocre product. It's winter weekend. Your chance to take some kind of accountability, responsibility, talk to the fans, get your message out there, and you're not going to make winter weekend because of a scheduling issue. As if you didn't know that winter weekend was going to be happening. A scheduling issue. How weak is that? Stop buying tickets. I have to watch the product because of what I do for a living. If you don't have to watch the product, stop watching the product. Boycott these guys. It's a joke. Jason C., Yankees payroll, currently $100 million more than the Red Sox. Benny's Benz, yeah, full throttle. 
on his yacht. Absolutely deplorable. And it gets worse with the more they say. They are an embarrassment right now. I've said it for the last couple of months. If you're not willing to spend with the big boys, sell the team. We've had enough. Sell the team. I appreciate you. Thanks for joining me on this Wednesday, this hump day. Let's go watch the Gerard Mayo Crafts press conference. It's coming up in less than a half hour. Uh, of course, we'll be back tomorrow with our reaction to that press conference and a whole lot more. Don't forget to like. Give us that thumbs up. Don't forget to comment. Don't forget to subscribe as well. If you're listening on Spotify and Apple Pods, rate and review. This podcast is only going to survive because of your support. That is a fact. That's the only way we survive. It's because of you. I appreciate you. Be well. Till tomorrow, it's the Nick Cattle Show.